Going Linux, episode 266, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, listener feedback. If you want to send us feedback, our email is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail is one 904-468-7889. Happy New Year, Bill. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, it's a couple days until the new year, but 2015. Yeah. Wow. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we are recording this at the end of 2014. So if something disastrous happens that the new year doesn't come, we've at least got this recorded in advance. <laughs> <laughs> wait, a, wait a minute. If that happens, nobody's even going to hear this. So <laughs> we're just we're just we're, we're assuming that we're going to make it to 2015. We are. We are. Yeah. And we will, of course. So how was your uh, your Christmas holiday? Uh, very good. Very good. Uh, I had uh, some family um visit and did some nice visiting and that sort of stuff so that was good how about you i stayed home away from all the crazy people and just relaxed no that sounds great uh yeah we had a just... good time me and my wife spent a quiet christmas uh watching uh, uh tv of course me being a uh, big doctor who fan bbc america had five has five days of nothing but doctor who so knew where i've been yeah. <laughs> well, I hope uh, your, your wife likes Doctor Who. Well, actually, my wife has banished me to my computer room because uh, she, she she doesn't get the, well, how does that box do what it does? <laughs> it's like, honey, it's the TARDIS. It can go in anywhere in time and space. She's like, go to your room. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that when I'm a kid and now I get it when I'm an adult. But, yeah, so I've been been just gorging on Doctor Who and and playing around with computers and uh when i'm not doing that i've been doing my honeydew list and um take my wife out to look at christmas lights yeah <laughs> mm, okay hey paint drying is more interesting than looking at christmas lights <laughs> uh, well with some of the ones that we have here in california the, you know animated light shows with music and stuff like that it's pretty entertaining uh, okay well and, you know, as Doctor Who's not her thing, <laughs> looking at Christmas lights is not my thing. It's like, look, I've seen this five or six times. It's red, green, clear. Okay, let's go. There's Santa. <laughs> oh, oh man. But there's uh, actually, there's one guy. I, he does it every year. And uh, he has a big piece of property. And from the edge of the road all the way to his house, which must be, I would say, a thousand feet is not it's just incredible lights i mean he must it, it takes him it must be two months to set it up <laughs> wow it, it's yeah. uh someone they did an article on him and his power bill is like 2500 dollars for december <laughs> some people go all out with this stuff uh yeah 2500 dollars for a power bill i would have a heart attack yeah i'd be investing in led 
Christmas <laughs> lights just to reduce the bill. Well, I think it, most of Mario LED. That's how many he's oh. got. I mean, I, mean, oh. he's, yeah. I think he said he he has like two hundred and fifty thousand lights. Last time he counted. Wow, that's a lot of lights. I can't even imagine that. Yeah, well, he he enjoys Christmas. All I know is uh, we go out there, and I'm like, I'm glad I'm not paying that power bill. Yeah. Well, you know, with 250,000 lights, what happens when one of the little bulbs goes out <laughs> and the string, you know, that, that string of 50,000 lights uh, is out? Have fun. <laughs> Which one is it? Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the part I hate about Christmas lights. The only thing I really uh, worry about <laughs> is that I'd be worried to, to walk around in there because... How many connections does he have to make? And, you know, you just think of a big rat's nest of plug-ins and stuff. I mean, because there's just so many lights. It's like, dude, where do, do you, have, like, install an extra pole for your power here or something? Because... Some people do that. Some people go all out and they, they gear their electrical panel to handle the Christmas season. <laughs> Well, I only had to put up one decoration. My wife has this big, uh, she, the Grinch, you know, the the green guy. Yep. To yep. Him. Well, she has one of those that you, uh, you, that has a little blower and it stands up and you know he bobs around in the wind or whatever. Well, when when after I got it, uh, him staked out and everything, uh, I went in the house and turned him on. Didn't think anything else about it until uh, my wife saying. Uh, Bill, where's the Grinch? Well, the Grinch was down the street. He had broken free. <laughs> oh. oh, so runaway Grinch. Yeah, so I had to go get the Grinch, and uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, everybody in my neighborhood was laughing because here I come carrying this this Grinch, you know, deflated, you know, because it's like eight feet tall. And so I got him back up, and I had to tie him down a little better. But yeah, the Grinch got away. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you got him. Yeah. So you know, my exciting Christmas. Everybody's like, I thought this was going Linux. I didn't realize this was the Grinch uh, Info News Service. <laughs> well, on that note, maybe we should get into our emails. Sounds for, like a plan uh, for a January. Okay. Well, uh, let's see here. Our first email is from Jared. He has an alternative method of setting up a printer for Linux. Jared writes, "Hi guys." Just a quick comment about HP printers and Linux. I've always purchased HP printers since I've started using Linux because I've read that they play nice with Linux. I am happy to report that I have never had any problems at all in terms of drivers and or functionality. Every time I have problems, they were always network related issues. Here is a quick guide to making it work consistently, for me at least. First, uninstall your printer using your distribution's graphical user interface. Next, manually assign a fixed IP address to your printer via your printer's settings input screen on the printer. It will be slightly different for each printer. Make sure you assign an address that is outside your router's IP pool. A common example for a router's IP pool is 192.168.1.100 to 198.168.1.200. So I would use 192.168.1.201 outside the IP address pool. Double check your router settings. They are all a little different. Next, install your printer via your distribution's graphical user interface. Stop there. 
No other software is typically needed. To get printer information or status, I open a browser and go to the fixed IP address to get the printer's web-based interface, which I have found is far superior to the HP LIP utility. Cheers, Jared. Okay, any comments on this setup? Seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I might try that uh, next time I uh, need to install a printer. Yeah, and in fact, Jared's suggestion here is the way I set up a printer uh, routinely within my network until I got my upgrade from Time Warner Cable and started using their modem and router. Some And the reason I don't do it with the new setup is because for some reason Time Warner has made the settings in their router incompatible with fixed IP addresses. Hmm. I don't know why. It just doesn't work. I don't even know how they did it. But if I try to set up my printer or even my laptop, which I had set up previously to a fixed IP address for a number of reasons... Uh, if I try to set those up that way with this new router from Time Warner, it um, it doesn't recognize the IP address. I mean, I can't connect to whatever the device is that has the fixed IP address, which is a problem for a printer. And uh, if you want to SSH into my laptop, which is one of the reasons why I used a fixed IP address, uh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't use VNC. I couldn't use anything to connect to it. As soon as I let the router assign an IP address, it no worked. problem. Yeah, everything works. Hmm. So I haven't taken the time to figure out what's going on there. And I like the router that Time Warner is providing, except for this issue. It seems to be pretty uh, a pretty good router. So Which I don't router want... is it? Um, it's an Eris okay, combination. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a pretty high-powered router, but I did notice that a few of the settings are locked down by Time Warner. Um, and so they're doing something within the router that yeah, makes it a little funky. So if you have problems uh, setting fixed IP addresses like Jared suggests, you might want to check on that. And I know that if I were to put my own router in behind the Time Warner router and just use the Time Warner router just in pass-through mode and do the IP address assigning using my own router, it will work just fine. Mm -hmm. But my own router is not as high speed. It's not a gigabit router like the uh, Time Warner one is, and I'm not about to go purchase a new router just to get that feature when this seems to work okay. And I can live with a, a dynamically assigned IP address for now. Yeah. It really doesn't affect you too much. Yeah, but this uh, this method of assigning a fixed IP address to your printer is an excellent way to ensure that the printer doesn't get assigned a new IP address and it's always searchable and findable on your on your network, and it mm -hmm. just simplifies the whole setup, I think. So if you yeah. find this suggestion from Jared useful, go ahead and use it. Thanks, Jared. Yeah. Okay, our next email comes from Michael and he writes hi if I were to change my distro in the future to mint which version should I go for I asked because I looked at the Linux Mint download page and under the different versions such as mate or mate it says something about no codecs 
I thought that Mint pr pretty much came with the extra packages for playing various sound and video formats, etc. One of the issues I seem to have with Ubuntu is that I have yet to be able to play certain videos. I have even with VLC Media Player and the restricted extras installed and I stick in some classic video such as The Ark in Space, which is a classic Doctor Who episode. Hey, a Doctor Who fan. Yes. Um, okay, and you run Mint, so I'll let you answer this one. Okay, well, I actually wrote out a response to Michael, and let me just read from that because I had a couple of thoughts here that I want to make sure I convey accurately. Do not choose the no-codex version. Choose the regular one. The no-codex version will give you the same trouble as Ubuntu. The regular version is the one that has all the codecs and other quote, restricted software pre-installed. The restrictions have to do with licensing, primarily in the US and a few other countries. Since Linux Mint is from Ireland and Ireland doesn't have to abide by those restrictions, the Mint team distributes those extras, if you will, with their version of Linux. They make the no codex version available for those people who don't want to or can't accept those restricted extras. Ubuntu just takes the safer route and distributes only no codex version. Having said that, the restrictions, for the most part, are around distributing the restricted software, not downloading or using that software. So American users of Ubuntu and the no codec versions of Mint can use that restricted software as long as they download it and install it themselves. Strange, but that's the way it works. I just don't see the need to jump through the extra hoops to make the no codex version exactly like the regular version of Linux Mint. Since you are in the UK, you can use the regular version without any fear of crossing U.S. regulators. Well, now I, I was looking at just rereading his email, and it said that he was having problems playing the the Ark in Space that Doctor Who episode um, after he installed the restricted extras. Yeah. So he just to summarize, he was using Ubuntu uh -huh. and had installed the restricted extras and was still having problems with the Doctor Who episode. Well, the only okay if he installed the uh, the restricted extras, it should play. So, because that's basically the same thing that Mint has. Yeah. So I I don't know. Could it be that uh, he got this video from maybe like iTunes and it's a protected, and it won't play. I suppose that's possible. Um, I have noticed, though, that with Mint, if you choose the uh, no-codex version and with Ubuntu, even after installing manually all of the extra packages that you get on the regular version of Mint, sometimes it doesn't quite work the same way, oh. especially with Ubuntu. And so there may be something that the Mint folks tweak to make sure that these extra settings work better or it may be that the extras packages that are packaged up are missing a library or something inadvertently mm -hmm. uh, that the standard version of mint installs just uh, as a routine um, matter of course for them so even though in theory 
Ubuntu with the restricted extras and Mint, the no codex version, and then manually installing those codecs yourself should be the same as the standard version of Mint. Uh, I've noticed in the past when I've done that, sometimes it's not quite the same. And quite honestly, I haven't taken the time, haven't needed to take the time to figure out what the difference is. But there may be, in fact, something that's that's missing there. So that may be what's going on. It may okay. be the source of the video. Um, and you might, you might want to just make sure that you're downloading it from a reputable source and that there's, there's nothing untoward about the file itself. I suspect that's not the case, but you never know. Okay. Well, let us know if you still have problems with that, Michael, and we'll see uh, what we can do to figure it out for you. Yeah, and I think Michael was experimenting with which distribution to go with. Uh, I don't know what he finally settled on, but he um, he's been working with Ubuntu, and he's he's a uh, a blind user as well. So he has tried Vinix and uh, Sonar. Sonar, yep. And so you know he's still trying to figure out what his distribution should be. So. Okay. We'll, we'll see where he goes from here, but I've recommended that if he's going to use Mint, he should use the standard version. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, our next email comes from Greg, and he writes, Hello, Larry and Bill. Can you recommend a cross-platform encryption program? In the past, I have used TrueCrypt to encrypt my any sensitive data, but this week I reloaded my little netbook with Mint 17 XFCE, and when I went to download TrueCrypt, the SourceForge page has a warning that it might not be secure. I like how TrueCrypt worked, but if it is insecure, then what's the point of using it? Thanks, Greg. Oh boy, let's see, Greg. TrueCrypt. I have used TrueCrypt a long time ago. I haven't really used anything. Do you use anything, Larry? Uh, not now. I did use TrueCrypt for a while, and... Um... Stopped using it before this whole insecure, we're stopped developing TrueCrypt uh, issue came up. Um, but I have heard that many people think that TrueCrypt's claims that they are unsecure is something that may have been pressured by the Microsoft folks. Primarily, that impression came from the fact that when they made that warning, on their website and stopped supporting and developing TrueCrypt, they started recommending that people use the Microsoft uh, encryption that's built into Windows. I don't know whether that has any basis in fact, but uh, those people who subscribe to that theory, if you will, are also saying that TrueCrypt probably isn't insecure at all. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether I would trust it or not there was some talk at the time this whole uh, issue came up that there were they were going to audit the code from TrueCrypt to find out if indeed it was secure and i don't know that i've heard anything about the outcome of that audit but what i can say and we'll have links in the show notes if you do want to use something that is analogous to TrueCrypt because uh, let's face it, we're talking about TrueCrypt mainly because it was the best open source encryption software for hard drives out there. Uh, many would argue that. Um, there is a uh, fork of TrueCrypt called CypherShed. 
These folks took the version before the crippled version that the TrueCrypt folks um, provided on their website just before shutting down, uh, and they've forked that and developed something called CypherShed, and it's available at CypherShed.org. Like I said, we'll have the link in the show notes to CypherShed. Be aware that it's still under development, so it's not absolutely complete at this point, but it will be something that will be a um, uh, an open source encryption software along the lines of TrueCrypt that will, you'll be able to use without uh, risk and without fear and still be able to encrypt your hard drives or encrypt your folders or files, uh, much like you did with TrueCrypt. So that would be my recommendation is to keep your eye on CypherShed and use that and use TrueCrypt at your own risk. And you also can just uh, look in your your repositories and see if they have something else. You can usually just type in like encryption and it'll list some programs. You might find one that uh, will work for you. Yeah. Um, the other thing is many Linux distributions also offer encrypting your entire hard drive when you do the installation these days. And that might be an option for you as well. Of course, if you're not interested in a whole disk encryption and you're just interested in encrypting a folder or a file or something like that, then this alternative might be for you. Yep. Good luck. Yes. Let us know how that goes, uh, Greg. Okay. Jesse wrote on our Google Plus forum. Hello there. I listened to your podcasts during the long, boring days at work. It has already helped me pass the time as well as helped me learn a bit about Linux. I currently triple boot Windows 8.1, Ubuntu, and Netrunner. I haven't had much time to research lately, so I just have one quick question. Is it possible to set up a VPN on Netrunner? I believe you mentioned VPN setups in previous podcasts. However, according to your show notes, I did not see the Netrunner distribution was supported. I currently use Private Internet Access VPN, or PIA VPN, on my Windows computer. And according to PIA, they do not support Ubuntu 14.04 yet. They have not gotten back to me about other distros. So I was just wondering if Netrunner would support a VPN. Any links or info would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for your time and keep up the great work. Jesse. Well, I did a little research into this, Bill, and we've again got links in the show notes. So Netrunner is a KDE version of Ubuntu. It's Ubuntu-based. And so whatever instructions are available for Ubuntu typically will work for Netrunner as well. And I did some research on the Netrunner website and found a link to setting up PIA VPN using OpenVPN as the client on Netrunner. And the other thing that I found out is that PIA itself uh, isn't incompatible with Linux. It's just that they don't have a Linux client. And so the Netrunner folks have um, recommended using OpenVPN, and they have a little setup utility that, or a little setup script that they have at this link and we'll include that link in the show notes as well as a link to the PIA VPN site as well uh, where they are talking about a beta of a Linux client that they're developing so um, hopefully 
that will uh, get out of beta soon and there'll be a VPN client directly for the folks using PIA. And in the meantime, the open VPN approach that they recommend on the Netrunner forum is probably your best bet. Okay. All right. All right. Our next email comes from Scott, and he wants to know how to remaster an ISO with ISO Master. He writes, Hello, Larry. I am using Puppy Linux Slacko 5.5. I want to remaster Linux Mint 13 Mate ISO with ISO Master version 1.3.6 to add a program. I believe the programs are in Casper slash file system dot squash FS. Since it is a large file size, I can't figure out how to do this. I love your Going Links podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks for your help. Okay, so I've provided a link in the show notes to ISO Master, and it appears to be software for just as you would expect mastering an ISO. Um, there are other programs out there for doing this. Uh, not using this software, I'm not sure where the issue really is or why why it is an issue. Um, so, I any suggestions, Bill, on alternative software to ISO Master that might make this a little bit simpler for um, for Scott? I haven't used uh, ISO Master. The only uh, the one I've only used was uh, the one in PC Linux OS, and it was built in. Uh, I can't remember what the base software was. It's uh, I think it was my ISO or something to that effect. But as far as ISO Master, I have no clue what it would work for him. Uh, and I don't really understand what he's trying to do. He, he says, he's, is he trying to get take some programs out and add it to another ISO? Yeah, it sounds to me like he's trying to take something like Linux Mint 13 and remaster it so that it includes a program that's not in there by default. The only the only thing that uh, I would uh, wonder is how he would that, how would he do that because Puppy Linux Slacko is based on Slackware. Yeah, I think that's just the the distribution he's running to run the oh, okay. ISO Master software, okay. and he's trying to work on a Linux on Mint a, thirteen. Okay, I didn't disk. know if he's trying to pull something from the Slackware and make it run on the um, uh, Linux Mint. No, I. I don't read it that way. Maybe okay. maybe I'm wrong, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. So uh, what you might want to try is if ISOMaster is not working for you, you can't figure out how to use it. Um, the folks at SUSE have uh, some software that allows you to build an ISO, if you will. Uh, I think it's the SUSE folks, isn't it? They have Yes, a, it is. Yeah, they have a build service. It's called, yes, uh Asusa build service. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that might work for you. I think there are other Linux distributions that provide these kinds of services, and you don't have to uh, be working with a Asusa uh, uh, ISO file to make this work no. for you. I don't think so. Uh, that that might be an alternative for you uh, if the ISO master software isn't working. Actually, that might be the best bet because uh, all you have to do is create a, it's a free account with uh, SUSE, and then you're able to go in and tell it um, 
what you want in it. I mean, you can get as as uh, detailed and specific as you want. Um, and then what you can do is tell it to what kind of output file you want. You want it an ISO? Do you want it? You know, do you want it? based on I think it at one time they had where you could base it on Ubuntu Fedora OpenSUSE you could uh, Debian you could base it on any of those but uh, I've used it and uh, it's it's a lot of fun uh, and you can customize it how you want and you can download burn it to uh, ISO and you have your own personal distribution okay that sounds like a perfect plan yep perfect plan okay Good. Good. Our next email is from Charles, also from our Google Plus user community. I am uh, making my second attempt to buy a laptop with Linux pre-installed. The first one had hardware problems and the vendor took it back for a full refund. A plus to Los Alamos computers for customer service. A grade of D to Lenovo hardware. The new one shipped yesterday. It's preloaded with Ubuntu LTS. I cannot guarantee that it will remain a stock Ubuntu machine. For me, the Unity interface is right up there with KDE 3, which I once called the lead weights package for Linux systems <laughs> that are just running too fast. Note, this is my first new computer since 2009. My other computers are laptops from 2006 and 2007. Well, Charles, you'll notice a speed improvement. <laughs> Biggest speed improvement. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, I'm a little surprised that the Lenovo hardware didn't work all that well for you. Maybe you just ended up with a lemon. And hopefully whatever you're getting as a replacement machine from Los Alamos is uh, going to work much better for you. So good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. And I've always, I've, I've always had good luck with Lenovo as far as uh, it being compatible with Linux and stuff. So I think you just got a lemon. Yeah, it could be. Um, and, you know, there are some models of Lenovo that have some squirrely hardware that doesn't quite work with uh, Linux. But Lenovo, especially when it was part of IBM, um, they have done an awful lot with the ThinkPad machines to make them Linux compatible because IBM for a long time was using SUSE Linux and other versions of Linux um, in their corporate environment. And when Lenovo got sold off to the Chinese manufacturer that uh, owns them now, they took a lot of that philosophy with them and they've maintained the Linux compatibility, uh, generally speaking. So Lenovo is usually a very good choice for mm -hmm. Linux compatibility. So that's, uh, like I said, I'm a little surprised that it didn't work for you, Charles, but uh, I'm sure it was just a, an aberration. Yeah, that old ThinkPad that I had was just a little workhorse, and and uh, I used it for a couple of years, and then uh, Tom used it for a couple of years, and it just it's it's still chugging along from what I understand. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And when I was uh, when I had a job that included recommending hardware, um, my partner and I did a lot of evaluation of computer hardware. Uh, and of course, in the corporate environment, we were using Windows, but even for Windows, we decided that ThinkPad was the right choice for the salespeople who were carrying these machines around and and being not too careful with them. So they were good, solid uh, hardware that was rugged enough to stand up to tossing around uh, in a computer bag. 
and using day-to-day. -day. So they're good solid hardware and Linux compatibility is uh, excellent with Lenovo as well. So a good choice. Yeah, you could beat a mugger down and still do your, do your computing on it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Our, <laughs> our next feedback comes from Ken and he posted on our Google Plus forums. He writes, folks, I'm trying to learn how to make voice recordings. I am using Linux Mint 17 on an Acer 5535 laptop. I have loaded Audio Recorder and Audacious. I made trial voice recordings using AR, then played them back with Audacious. I used the microphone of the laptop, which I had never used before. My problem is that there is way too much background noise. And he writes, is this normal? Should I get an external mic? I am going to be using these to make short voice recordings for my Tyrannus radio control transmitter which issues voice information or warnings based on the programming. I do not require high fidelity, but it does have to be understandable through a cheap speaker in the transmitter. Thanks, Ken. Okay, yes, get the uh, external mic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, exactly. That will solve a lot of your problems right there. Right. Even though the, in the end it's going to be played on a cheap speaker, the higher quality the voice is going into that cheap speaker, the clearer it's going to be. If you start with a cheap microphone like the ones that are typically provided on a laptop, it's going to start off bad and get even worse over those cheap speakers. Yeah, and you also... Uh, the ones that are in your laptop, they're actually picking up the noise from your machine, and and they're they're not they're not really directional. They they just kind of pick up everything, omnidirectional sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. And they're not uh, they're not the highest quality. But in addition, when you're using a built-in mic like that, it's going to pick up noise from the machine itself. So if your computer has a fan that turns on and off intermittently, it's going to pick that up. And there are software programs like Audacity that allows you to remove that. But if it's too noisy or poor quality to begin with, it's only going to degrade the quality as you remove the noise. So if you're starting with a cheap microphone and then adding noise on top of that, trying to remove the noise, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So get an external mic. And I would recommend a USB mic. Yes. Um, uh, because they're easy to work with. You don't need a mixer or anything extra. You just need the microphone itself. You can plug it in directly. And because it's digital, it's not going to have the analog noise that comes out of the analog circuits that are used in the, the laptop or the computer itself, uh, because there's typically some sort of noise in those um, sound cards, uh, especially if they're analog-based. Um, there's there's noise that it picks up and that comes out in your recording. With the USB, there's less likelihood of that happening because it is digital. Uh, you've got a good, clear quality sound to begin with. Even if it's an inexpensive USB mic, it will be much uh, clearer than the laptop. So go ahead and do that. Of course, you could go whole hog and get an expensive microphone and a mixer and have a studio set up like I have here, but that's certainly not required for what you're doing and a usb mic is going to work just fine for you yeah usb mic's the answer i think just get it uh you can pick up one for, uh, a decent one for around 20 bucks yep 
Okay. And in fact, since this was on Google+, Plus, uh, our community has come up with a number of suggestions, and any one of those is good, uh, Ken. So hopefully you'll find a microphone that works for you, and uh, your recordings will be just fine. Okay, Bill, I think that wraps it up. We don't have any gone Linux stories to relate, and we don't have any Linux in the wild stories to relate either. So we're looking for more of those. So if you would like to provide us some feedback on your gone Linux story, a history of uh, how you got into Linux and uh, why you got into Linux, that would be great. And also, if you've seen Linux out in the wild, any reports of uh, uh, Linux sightings in the wild would be something we'd like to relay on our show as well yes okay our next episode will be a user experience episode we haven't decided on a topic yet but i'm sure it will be exciting and informative until then <laughs> you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes as well as links to download and to subscribe we are the website for computer users who just want to use linux to get things done and if you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux Podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.